From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. The nurse practitioner role has a rich history beginning with its co-creation by Drs. Loretta Ford and Henry Silver in 1965. And now today, there are more than 355,000 NPs licensed to practice in the United States. Today's guest will share insights about why they chose to become an NP. They'll provide examples of NP innovation and advocacy in action. They'll highlight the value of networking and discuss the continued importance of advocating for advanced practice nurses and our patients, both here in the U.S. and abroad. Join me now as I welcome AANP Region 1 Director, Dr. Valerie Fuller, Vermont State Liaison, Michelle Wade, AANP Fellow, Dr. Christina Calamaro, and AANP members, Dr. Joy Dupree and Eliana Marcus-Aaron to the podcast. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your role as a nurse practitioner. My name is Valerie Fuller and I am from Falmouth, Maine. I am certified as both a primary and an acute care nurse practitioner. I currently work in vascular surgery at a large tertiary medical center in Maine. Um, I also have some other roles. Um, one is with AANP as the Region 1 Director, and I also um, serve as the President of the Maine State Board of Nursing, which is one of our regulatory bodies in Maine. I have been a member of AANP since I was a student, uh, so 1996, um, and believe in what this organization does for the advancement of our profession, um, whether it's policy, education, practice, um, it's been instrumental and formative for me as an NP to belong to this association. My name is Dr. Eliana Marcus-Aaron. Um, I live in Israel, um, and I'm originally from New Jersey, and I've lived in Israel for 20 years. Um, so I've been a nurse practitioner for 26 years, um, so quite a while. I hope I'm getting the math right. Um, and I practiced here uh, in the United States um, and obviously, um, you know, certified family nurse practitioner. And uh, we had an opportunity as a family to move to Israel and we decided to do that. So I'm Michelle Wade. I'm a nurse practitioner from the state of Vermont. Great. I worked my way through school and became a nurse practitioner specializing in adult gerontological nurse practitioner in primary care and immediately went to work in the nursing home embedded as a nurse practitioner in my local nursing homes. Ultimately starting a nursing home service line in my community and grew that to two physicians and seven nurse practitioners and three LNAs within our nursing home service line that is run by the FQHC in my town. And so we are embedded in each nursing facility within our community. So we learn our patients inside and out, and we take phenomenal care of our patients because we're there every day embedded in the nursing home. We see them, we see their little nuances, and we work intricately with the nurses and the LNAs that are within the nursing home. Eventually, I knew that I also wanted to do more, and I chose to go back for my acute care nurse practitioner, so I'm dual certified, and I currently work as a hospitalist in a small critical access hospital taking care of primarily geriatric patients. I'm Christina Calamaro. I'm up from Atlanta, Georgia. I think one of the things that I really care about is, as a nurse practitioner, how well um, am I getting um, my questions across 
um, to get the right answers to, to help someone heal, right, or to help someone with their problem. So in the presence of some of the underserved populations I've come across, specifically those with limited English proficiency, I, I think in terms of, or low literacy, I think in terms of what can I do better to help those patients? Because clearly, you know, I'm limited in my ability to be multilingual. So how can I best meet the needs of those patients? And I think that was exacerbated even with COVID because perhaps we had less interpreters on the units. We were overrun with patients, especially in the adult settings. Um, so I, I think for me as a nurse practitioner, it was really taking the time to think what could I do better to help with nurses, specifically at the bedside, especially in my job as director of research for nursing and allied health at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. It was really important for me to think about what can I do to help those nurses with point of care tasks at the bedside for those limited English proficiency or low literacy patients. I'm Joy Dupree and I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. I teach policy and leadership and I love nothing more than to have students that I can work with. I've had students come into my policy course saying I'm only taking this because it is required. And by the end of the course, they will say, my life will never be the same again. I see everything very differently. Uh, as far as being a mentor, I, that's one of the greatest joys of my life. Would you please share a little bit about why you became a nurse practitioner or what being an NP means to you now? I became a nurse practitioner because I wanted to treat women that were in the poor and underserved areas of the state of Alabama. Uh, as a nurse practitioner for women, uh, I have fought for their ability to have access to care. I was licensed and certified as a women's health NP in the late 90s, <clears throat> and I began practice, and I quickly realized that there were very few um, types of care that I could provide over and above what a registered nurse could do because of the barriers. I'd been exposed as a child growing up uh, to politics through my grandfather and uh, had a lot of knowledge related to the political process. And so I devoted about 15 years of my life to working on policy issues to remove barriers in the state of Alabama with many others. I actually have a unique NP journey. I started out as a licensed nursing assistant working in the nursing homes. And after about four years doing that, knew that I wanted to do more for my patients and ultimately went back to school. And in Vermont, we have a unique step program where you can first become a licensed practical nurse or an LPN, LVN in the western part of the country. and. Finished school for that, it's a one-year program in Vermont, took my board, stayed right in the nursing home the whole entire time, and I knew that I needed to eventually continue my education, but also being a single parent at the time with two toddlers, I knew I had to work my way through the system. So I remained working as a licensed practical nurse in the nursing home and took a couple classes toward my registered nurse. It took me four years to finish out the prereqs, and then I went back and went part-time working and went back and finished my RN. Again, stayed right in the nursing home because I loved geriatrics, I loved my patients, and I had seen over time what it was like to have a bond with those patients and how important that was. So I continued in the nursing homes and continued my education. I never stopped after my RN. I finished my bachelor's one class at a time and then realized when I would watch the physicians come into the nursing home, spend 10 or 15 minutes with the patients and not see them again for three months, I knew there was a better way. And that's when I started my journey to nurse practitioner. Um, when I moved to Israel, there was no such thing as a nurse practitioner. And I was hired two years later to work at the uh, US Embassy. It was the consulate, now it's the Embassy in Jerusalem. And I was the first working nurse practitioner in the country of Israel. So I had a very unique exposure and experience in sort of introducing the profession to a whole new country. Um, glad to say we've made a lot of progress since then, but we have quite a ways to go. But it's been like a once in a lifetime adventure. Um, and um, uh, I, I did my DNP at Yale University, and I became an expert at Israeli health policy 
um, especially in terms of nurse practitioner development? I think really what comes to mind when I think of being a nurse practitioner, actually two things. One is mentorship, um, and the other is really patient advocacy. And I think of my years as an academician in mentoring and growing uh, student nurse practitioners and seeing them be successful and caring well for their patients. And then I think of my other role as an advocate for the patient. And uh, most of my experience has been with underserved populations. So really thinking in terms of what is the health disparity that limits access to care for those patients? Uh, where are they located? How can I get them to the best care possible? And then really getting beyond just the simple, hey, how are you? What are you here for? And really engaging and understanding people's lives and the context of their questions. Um, so I, I'm excited about the role. I really see it as, um, to me, it's the epitome of nursing. Uh, many, many times I hear students say, but I'm not really a nurse. But to me, as I've grown the last 25 years, I've really seen the nurse practitioner role be the, it is, it's the epitome of what nursing can be. It's, it's our need for advocacy. It's our need to, to care for patients, to care for the community, and also to really just stand up and say, hey, this is what I do and this is why I'm great at it. I graduated and moved to Portland, Oregon, full practice authority state. So the moment I got there, I was, um, free to practice to, to the highest level of my education and certification. And when I moved back to Maine, um, the Board of Nursing um, said I had to do two years of supervision, which made no sense to me. I'd been working five years independently in Oregon. Now, several of you have already touched on the different practice environments NPs may encounter. Why is it so important for NPs to be involved in advocacy? And what does that really mean for patients? Sure, so getting involved in both national and state level is really important. And I originally was a student member of AANP and remained a member of AANP ever since that time. I realized the importance of both the national and the state organizations in the sense that if you need something done or something's not right at a legislative level or at a systems level, that you have to have the support of the people around you. And in order to get that, you need to have a team. And the way to get a team is to be a member of an organization. And so eventually I was on the board of directors at the Vermont Nurse Practitioners Association, and I'm actually the immediate past president. I just rolled off. And during that time, we have continued to expand the role of the nurse practitioner in the state of Vermont. We have opened up doors that have been closed through legislative language, allowing continued full practice authority in the state of Vermont. I also became involved through the previous state representative at AANP who introduced me to my first conference in 2012, which was an amazing experience. And I have come to conference every year since then. It is a place to network. It is a place to see other NPs and learn what they're doing in their towns and how perhaps you can do it different in your town, how to help people, and most importantly, to spend time with our peers and support each other and figure out the best way to take care of our our patients in our demographic area. As a state rep for the AAMP, I have worked tirelessly to try to improve our membership, and I have also worked over time to help other states in my region, most recently Massachusetts, become a full practice authority state. So we have now got the entire region one as FPA. So, you know, I, I really think we don't stress enough getting involved in the community. And I am a firm believer, whatever community you practice in, you get to know who the, the local council is, get to know for me in, as an FMP and a PMP and practicing in pediatrics, it was very, very important for me to get to know the school nurses in my community that I practice, get to know what schools were like, uh, where the playgrounds were. I drove around my community to understand where people lived. And then the next step was, um, I could talk to people, oh, you live on that, the so-and-so street. Tell me about, you know, Johnny running and tripping in the playground. Who can I contact about that? And I think advocacy is not only understanding your community, but understanding who those officials are that perhaps you can reach out to and talk about health care. I'm a firm believer that, that we lead the charge for that. I've called principals. I've called local officials. I've partnered with school nurses to really um, work with 
the community where I practice. And I think families are always so appreciative. Um, and as, that's the FMP part of me, to engage the family and to really see what it is that their needs are. Where are they in a food desert? Is there any uh, ability to access you know, healthy fruits and vegetables in their community. So they're the things I think that nurse practitioners need to pay attention to. So many times I really believe we've become so tech savvy and so good at checking the box, right, on that, that EMR. But when it really comes to sitting and asking the next question and the next question, and um, obviously staying within your time frame, but really delving into somebody's life you get to understand what their needs truly are. And you may pick up on a diagnosis that you may have missed because you didn't take the time to ask. So I think getting to know what the needs are within that community. I also think that, you know, ethically, we should be advocating for the patient. Uh, you know, many times these are our most vulnerable um, uh, people are facing a, a very, very vulnerable time. And I think it's very, very important that being a patient advocate means you explain things in their terms you present the options to them, and then you don't get irritated if they choose something that you don't think they should choose. You really support your patient in the choices that they make. Obviously, as long as they're healthy and within treatment management, uh, but you still want to support them in the decisions that they make. And I think that that's where being a patient advocate as well, not only serving the community, but serving your patient is very, very important. I truly think that we have yet to really see the change that will happen with nurse practitioners as we gain more autonomy. And I'm very, very excited to, to kind of be on, you know, I'm an older NP, I'll usually tell students I'm old and they laugh. Um, but I, I'm excited to see what some of the newer students will do because the NP role is so cutting edge to begin with. And I, I'm excited to see as we have people who come in who aren't afraid to ask questions. I love that. I love that about students today. They're really not afraid to, to maybe challenge the status quo. So I think we can be revolutionary still in how we impact and change healthcare for the better. Well, the importance of advocacy is cannot be measured. It can't be spoken in words. It is so impactful. When I began, I realized that really so few nurses understood the political process or had the courage to speak with legislators. And so I was appointed to our State Board of Nursing and uh, realized even more the lack of knowledge related to the legislative process among our state members. And we did not have a state organization at that time. And so we had our State Nurses Association, but we did not have a dedicated nurse practitioner association. So um, I, along with uh, five other very dedicated nurse practitioners in the state of Alabama, one of them being Cindy Cook, uh, got together and we decided that we needed to form our own uh, organization and we called it the Nurse Practitioner Alliance of Alabama. And the reason for that is we wanted to make sure that we were all inclusive and not have an association, but rather an alliance so that nurses uh, CRNAs, nurse midwives, everyone felt welcomed. During the course of about six or seven years, we organized and we really worked very hard to try to get policy passed. And um, through continued efforts, eventually we were able to do that and had four bills passed that really um, changed the landscape of practice in the state of Alabama. We went from having 1,700 nurse practitioners in practice to over 5,000 in about three years. And most of those were in the rural areas that had little access to care. Right out of school, I joined the legislative committee for our State Nurses Association. And so I was very excited. And I realized that there were many of our nurse practitioners as well as our registered nurse students that came out of school just dedicated to working at the bedside and they either didn't have time or were um, not sure of what uh, benefits they could receive from joining a professional organization. And so I tried to share that message and encourage as many as I could. I encouraged a lot of schools of nursing to offer memberships through student organizations. 
And uh, little by little, our groups have grown, particularly in the most restrictive states. We're making progress, but it, it's, um, it's, there's a long way to go, but we are very dedicated and in numbers, I believe that one day we'll get there and it won't be too long. I've had students call me from um, the state, I mean from the steps of Washington DC saying, guess what, I just met with my congressman or my senator, so excited. I have had students call me and tell me they were going to run for office. And so nothing is more exciting than to mentor students and see them grow. But so often our nurses do not understand or have the courage to take that first step. So the greatest advice I would give anyone that has the knowledge of how to navigate the political process is to take a group of students with them to a state house or to Washington and walk those halls, meet with those congressmen and senators and legislators so that you can be an example and a role model and show them they're just people. They want to hear from you. They want to hear from their constituents. And they truly don't understand what the differences are. And when we've held educational sessions for our state association, uh, legislators have walked away saying, I had no idea. And it made the difference between bills passing and not passing. And so our last bill that we worked really hard on uh, went for 10 days in the whole process from beginning to end to be passed. The first bill of the four that were passed took almost two years. <laughs> and so you learn from uh, your mistakes and you learn how to navigate and how to uh, prime the wheels before you go in. And, it, and it's exciting uh, to watch students learn that process and the first time have that smile on their face when they have a success. I think in Maine, um, if I were gonna touch upon a federal uh, issue. So I am a certified woundostomy and certified foot care RN. See a lot of, and I also work in vascular surgery. I see a lot of wounds on feet that begin as the result of ill-fitting shoes. Do a lot of amputations because of that problem. And I can't order these patients diabetic shoes. I work in a wound clinic. I see it every day. And I can't order this person the shoes they need. And I'm the expert. And I'm referring to maybe their primary care provider who's not an expert in wounds or feet. Um, and it, it's really a barrier and one I hope to see change in my lifetime. Get involved with your state NPO and get involved with AANP. You know, we've got state issues, we've got federal issues, and um, our federal advocacy center at AANP is phenomenal. Um, so um, using that, so every time you see a patient with a diabetic foot wound, shoot off an email and tell them that story because patient stories really matter. Um, that is something I've learned. And I'm sure that perhaps my senators and representatives <laughs> are tired of hearing from me, but it's important. And, and I see the worst outcomes possible from these problems. But yeah, new NPs, get involved. Reach out to the leaders in your state and say, how can I participate? What can I do? Can I help you? Can you, can you mentor me? Can you help show me the ropes? Um, I think that's a great place to start. We're a family, we're a tribe. <laughs> um, and so um, em embrace the family, reach out. Um, there are people here that, are that will welcome you um, and, and help you get involved. Um, take that step, it is daunting I'm sure, especially if you're a newer NP or perhaps a bit shy or introverted. But yeah, reach out. Um, we want more NPs involved, it, it, it takes a village. So we, we, we all have to be involved. It's, it's so important for our profession. Please join AAMP. We need you. Thank you, Valerie. I agree with you all. It is so important for NPs and NP students to be part of the NP community, which is really what happens for members of AANP. Eliana, your work in Israel must be exciting as well. Please tell us more. Well, first of all, I you know, worked with some colleagues to find other nurse practitioners so that we can kind of come together and start working a little more as a unit. We still don't have uh, a national organization. Um, but uh, actually, nurse practitioners were legalized about almost 10 years ago. So what we're working on now is trying to take the model that we have in the United States. Almost all the nurse practitioners in Israel, and there are a few hundred, they're all American certified nurse practitioners that happen to be expats. We've developed CME programs so that we can advance ourselves. 
Um, a colleague of mine did that with me. Um, and, um, and basically, um, trying to move towards improving policy. Uh, one of the things that we're working on is trying to find pilot programs to get these American nurse practitioners into NP roles and then um, qualified as nurse practitioners in Israel. So um, I personally find that we, when we find a champion, and sometimes we have really great champions. I have a champion who works right in the Ministry of Health, and she's really excited to help promote the role. I also was able, as um, a health policy expert and an advanced practice nurse, to be able to transition as well to be an influencer in Israel in terms of health policy during the coronavirus uh, uh, pandemic. So um, I was able to help the English-speaking community um, get information um, and help develop policy um, through the Ministry of Health uh, for the populations that I care for. So I care for um, people who are not in the Israeli healthcare system, so mostly tourists and students. We have millions of tourists when it's not corona, and uh, tens and thousands of students, mostly American, who are in Israel and require healthcare and they don't have, you know, they're not part of the Israeli healthcare system. So I actually developed a, a business that helps to provide health services for them. So COVID-19 actually presented an interesting situation for me because when I did work for uh, the embassy, which was the US Department of State, um, I became a pandemic planner. It's one of the things I had to do in my job. I've been tracking epidemiology and public health, you know, for 18 years. So I kind of saw that something was emerging from China because I track it. It's just like something I do. Um, and when I saw that start to happen, um, I also realized that it, at some point in December, I realized it was going to be a global pandemic and it looked like it was going to be a real one. Um, and I also realized that there are very few people who are pandemic planners professionally and who know how to, to do that. Um, in Israel, um, most epidemiology specialists manage chronic disease issues. But when this happened, uh, it turned out I was one of the people who was a pandemic planner. So I was consulting with them on uh, voluntarily um, to understand the data that was coming in and to do some pandemic planning is because they weren't part of the health system, they didn't exist. So I actually developed health policy for those populations and it was incorporated into the COVID policies that ended up uh, happening. And that was a very exciting experience. I have to say that um, one of the fun things that happened is I was the first person in Israel who was coming out with charts, all kinds of different charts. This was March of 2020. And to teach people about epidemiology and predictability and all kinds of things. And, um, and the Ministry of Health asked me to make charts for them. And um, the prime minister at the time was doing daily talks about the pandemic, and he used my charts. And I was very excited, so I took a screenshot of that and I sent it to my growing followers. And I said, well, guess who's using my charts? And so it kind of put the spotlight on some of the work that I was doing, and that was very exciting. So I ended up um, helping these populations through the pandemic. And in Israel, we're actually in a sixth wave right now. So we're actually going on the uptick. Um, but in terms of understanding policy and, and how it impacts people, I was very involved in trying to accommodate some of those populations that were struggling. So unfortunately, I was one of those people, and there were hundreds and thousands of people who did this also, who worked around the clock, hardly got sleep. Um, for about a year and a half, I averaged averaged 18 to 20 hour days. So I was sleeping realistically between two and four hours um, a day. And I was very high functioning. I was doing very well. I had thousands of people um, in touch with me from all over the world actually, um, who wanted, because Israel became a leader in um, 
COVID policies. So I was sort of the English representative. So people were contacting me from all over the world with questions and I was answering. And this is not a paid position. I was just helping people um, and developing um, for their own communities policies. What is realistic? What's not realistic? You know, um, and sometimes you are stepping outside of yourself. And, you know, at first it wasn't really my comfort zone and I made it become my comfort zone. Um, but I was working around the clock to just help people all over the world. And I paid a very heavy price for that personally. So, and at some point, I'm very happy about this, but my husband actually said like, you can't do this. You, you just can't, you have to stop. And I kind of took a step back. It took me a little time to take that step back um, and to realize like, this is a very big problem. I'm not the only person who went through that. And that if I don't take care of myself and my family, I'm, I'm, there's nothing gonna, there, there's not gonna be an Eliana left at the end of the pandemic. I'm just gonna be a puddle on the floor. <laughs> so, um, so I did start, you know, taking that step back and breathing and taking breaks and, you know, trying to get some fresh air and exercise a little bit. Um, definitely more sleep. And I started seeing that there were a lot of nurses and nurse practitioners going through the same thing. And I think as professionals, we are dedicated to helping people. And in many cases, that really comes before anything else. Like, so I'll have a two minute lunch break and I'll gobble down my food so I can go help people. Very common for nurses to do that. So um, I think it's very important for, for all nurses and nurse practitioners to really take that step back to separate between themselves and their work not to take the work home with them, and to be able to take those breaks, take that time, do that meditation, um, keep yourself fit and healthy so that you can continue helping people long-term, but also so you could be a person at the end of a crisis because at the end, the crisis will be over and what's left is someone who aged more, who developed health issues maybe because they weren't taking care of themselves, um, gained weight, you know, all of these things can happen and have happened. So it's really important for people to, to do that self-care and to take that step back and separate. And so we need to be a formal presence. We need to um, advocate for our own development um, for a consensus model. Um, we don't have that now. And, um, and so I, I really want to um, help guide that um, development in Israel because you know there's nurse practitioners in 55 or more countries in the world and Israel's number 56. And we need to, to get out into that international community. Um, and that's really what my goal is, is to, to bring the model of nurse practitioners that I love so much at the AANP and to bring that to Israel. Eliana, that is a fascinating story. I appreciate you sharing it with us today and reminding us of the importance of prioritizing self-care. We might all benefit from the resources AANP is sharing through its Empower Wellness Program. Michelle, AANP has an award for people in each state who advocate for the NP role. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So speaking about state awards, one of the committees at the American Association of Nurse Practitioners that I'm involved in is the awards committee. And we are the group of people that help facilitate recognition of the amazing, phenomenal nurse practitioners that are out there in each state. We award two state awards every year to each state and province, one for clinical excellence and one for NP advocacy. And it's important to note that for both of these awards, there is a great rubric that is available that gives you ideas of what a person might need to have accomplished or have done in order to be eligible for one of these awards. 
Our advocacy awards span from nurse practitioners to legislators to directors of programs to nurses that have been, nurses and nurse practitioners that have been leaders in their profession. It does not have to be a nurse practitioner. And it's really important that we recognize people that do advocate for the profession of nurse practitioner. Our clinical excellence awards have ranged from people that have started programs um, to help their patient population. It has ranged from people that have, um, let's see, one of this year's awardees is a person who developed a system of getting medication and COVID testing to patients that were unable to access any care during the COVID crisis. One year, the award went to people that started a mobile clinic and reached out to people in Appalachia who were unable to access medical care whatsoever unless they went out and took medical care to them. Um, we also have two prestigious national awards that are very important to understand. We have the Sharp Award and the Towers Award, and both of these awards at the national level talk about recipients that have done things to move the profession forward at both the national and international level. Both of these recipients are amazing nurse practitioners this year. In the past, some have not been nurse practitioners. And it is very important that we look to recognize people at both the state and national level for their accomplishments. Because I find that once we recognize the people, they continue to do wonderful things and expand. I received the Clinical Excellence Award many years ago, and that, that caused me to continue to want to be a part and give back. And that's actually the foothold to how I became a state rep once I realized all the wonderful things that were available within AANP. Michelle, I am looking forward to learning who the AANP state and national award recipients will be in 2023. Thank you for sharing that insight. Christina, now you recently received a huge honor. I'd like to hear more about your experience with the Johnson & Johnson Nurses Innovate Quick Fire Challenge. So um, when I saw the Johnson & Johnson Challenge, um, Quick Fire Challenge, you know, I quickly thought of, of what we had done at our institution with a very easy communication board that had icons that families could point to um, just for simple point of care tasks for those limited English proficiency or LEP patients. And you know, it, it didn't take the place of the interpreter, but it helped get care done more efficiently and it helped to provide care that may have been probably missed because of not being able to understand what the patient said or the patient couldn't even read. Um, that icon, um, what that icon meant. So um, we put together a proposal and um, I was, you know, fortunate to be one of the, the winners that was selected and I can't thank the AMP and J&J enough for that. What we've done is develop a prototype um, app for, to be loaded to the iPad or to the nurse's cell phone so that when they needed to quickly get some care done but couldn't wait for the interpreter, they could open that app, they could have the patient point to that icon, the patient could touch it, they'd hear what it was and say, that's it, that's what my child needs. And uh, very excited, I partnered with Georgia Tech and Emory, um, the app hatchery, great name. Um, and it, very, very excited that we'll be launching this. But to me, that's because I'm a nurse practitioner. I, I, that I came to that, that I recognized um, how can I think outside the box? And I think NPs are very, very good at that. And I think um, that's also advocacy. Um, that's also caring for that population, caring for a community that may not get care adequately. So I'm very, very excited. The team that I work with, we're all very excited and um, I can't wait to come back and report on, on how that app has worked. Congratulations, Christina. We can't wait to hear more about the benefits patients are receiving from this innovative new technology. Now, before we close, I'd like to touch on ways networking with our colleagues might help support the innovation, advocacy, and clinical excellence we've touched on today. So I actually 
One of the things that I really am getting out of this conference is networking with the AANP um, uh, resources that are here to help give me support for starting uh, an NP organization abroad in Israel um, and guidelines as to how to do that, even as an affiliate. After all, most of the people who are nurse practitioners in Israel are American Academy of Nurse Practitioners certified. So, um, so I think that one of the things that's my goal is to actually create this, this body that will then be able to be a more formal presence in Israel, and hopefully get to those stakeholder tables where policies are developed. Because right now, there could be meetings in the government about nurse practitioners, and there are no nurse practitioners at that table, none. Um, and I just want to say that I'm very proud to be a nurse practitioner. I'm proud to be uh, a member of the AANP. I'm very proud to have been able to bring those ideals to Israel. Um, and I hope I can make a global impact by replicating to a small degree um, what we have here in the AENP in Israel and to really impact global health. So I'm very excited for the next step and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that. If you don't have a network, you unfortunately are not going to succeed in this world. As a nurse practitioner, the only way that I got through two and a half years of COVID was reaching out to my peers that were there to listen, reaching out and spending some time with the free provided mental health practitioners from my employer. Without those things and the ability to talk through this scary time where we had no roadmap and no path, I probably would have been lost and stepped away from the profession. I think one tip for building your relationship and or moving your career forward has to be networking. And it has actually become easier to network in today's society using Twitter, using Facebook, using LinkedIn, using the AAMP app when you're at conference. If you attend a meet and greet, Generally, every year there's a pin or a ribbon on your badge that will say first time attendee. And by wearing that ribbon at the conference, those of us that have been around for a few years, we will seek you out and reach out to you and welcome you because we are one big profession. While you're here at conference, it's important to utilize the app and ask questions. There's no harm, no foul. No question is dumb except the unasked question. We're here for you. In the real world, when you're out there every day, there are Facebook groups that you can get your colleagues to support you on or you can ask non-medical questions on. There are um, multiple uh, Twitter um, meetups that are done periodically where you can meet up virtually. And then if you meet up virtually with 15 people at a Twitter meetup, I guarantee you one of those people and you will have something in common and you will become friends with them. Absolutely. I would start locally. You know, are there um, leadership groups that you could join within your institution? Um, are you involved with your state nurse practitioner organization? Are you involved with AANP? And there's lots of opportunities to participate um, at AANP. So um, exploring those possibilities, seeing what's out there. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're moving on to this, but finding a mentor, someone that can help direct you to some of those opportunities um, and what that might, next step might be. Um, I was very fortunate. Um, I graduated from um, Boston College and moved out to Portland, Oregon, uh, which was a full practice authority state. So I got out there and um, in my first job had an amazing nurse practitioner mentor who um, she wasn't my supervisor. And I think that's an important designation. She wasn't there to critique my practice. She was there to provide guidance, um, to be encouraging, um, to network help me network within the state. I did not live in Oregon, didn't go to school in Oregon, so she was an amazing help with networking. Shout out to Mary Grant if, she's, if she hears me. Um, and she, she actually was the one who first said, you know, you really should run for a position within Nurse Practitioners of Oregon. And so I did that, I served as their professional development chair, and then moved into the treasurer role before I moved back to Maine. And because of that experience and because of her mentorship, I was really, just inspired to 
to do it in Maine. So um, moved back to Maine that was my first call, actually. Moving back to the state was the Maine Nurse Practitioner Association. Um, had a mentor on that board as well who um, really helped groom me and, and again, helped me network because, again, I'm from Maine but didn't go to school there. So getting to know the local NP culture, so to speak. Um, she was the one that inspired me to run for president of that organization and had that opportunity. And it's really just kind of um, snowballed from there. Oh, my goodness. Well, that I, I think that's the crux. I think I said that at the, the beginning of this conversation of being a nurse practitioner. And I firmly, firmly believe in mentorship. The data supports it, right? We know there's less attrition in an institution. There's more satisfaction with your role. There's um, that desire by that MP who's been mentored well to move forward in a role, perhaps branch out, take leadership positions. I think um, if you think about mentorship for students, and I still keep in touch with students from 20 years ago, they'll call and ask for professional advice. And to me, that's the biggest compliment anyone could pay to know that they feel comfortable to still pick up the phone and give me a ring. So I think mentorship is that, knowing that you've impacted and that you've spoken into someone's life because that transition, that role transition can be so difficult. I think of it as, you know, all of a sudden you've gone from that limbo student stage to legitimacy where, wait a minute, I, I, I have to diagnose that patient, I have to see that patient by myself. And when you have someone who can come alongside you and impart confidence and they can be a sounding board and they can, you can call them um, for any question and there's never anything but patience for the most part for you, I, that speaks volumes to that person. And I was that young nurse practitioner and Dr. Lorianne Ferguson Parker, who's actually here, one of my biggest mentors, Dr. Donna Nativio at University of Pittsburgh, one of the very, very early nurse practitioners after Loretta Ford. She was wonderful as a student in reminding me, yes, you play a very, very important role. Don't forget that. And I could call her for professional advice. And, and that's just been the biggest thing. But I think just having someone support you through that role transition and having that sense of community that, that you know you can bounce things off of other people as you grow into your profession. And I think you can start within the area you, you practice. I have friends who were in solo practices, some colleagues that would call other nurse practitioners in their community and say, can we maybe get together once a month to just you know, sit over coffee if we can or, or have a glass of wine and just to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. I think now with the wonderful um, reality of Zoom, I mean, obviously during COVID, I think when you heard that you needed another Zoom meeting, I think we all groaned, but now as we hopefully, hopefully move past that, Zoom can be a wonderful tool to connect and have at least that virtual community. I think starting within your area that you practice and then getting involved in your local um, uh, and then regional and national uh, professional organization is a critical. AMP, I think, in my early years as a nurse practitioner, even through now, has been a wonderful tool and resource when I've come to these meetings to meet people, to network, to have people I know I can call if I have questions. So I think um, it's very, very important. You, you, even if you don't feel comfortable, it's get outside your comfort zone and get to know other people that you can collaborate with or that, that can become your colleagues that you can bounce ideas off of. Well, AANP is a perfect example because they have the policy conference in Washington and that is one of the most exciting conferences to attend because uh, during the years before COVID, people could actually get in to see their uh, their congressmen or senators. And so uh, that is just an outstanding opportunity. And I encourage anyone that is going to work to ask for some funding, you know, to uh, get their employer to help them pay for it. There are opportunities for scholarships through some of the local organizations and those types of things. Um, but to, to just get involved at the grassroots level and then work your way up and uh, connect with those that you know that are doing the work, they'll let you tag along and it's a wonderful experience for both. Run for office. We do not have enough nurses or nurse practitioners in 
elected seats. And they are the perfect people to lead the charge of any type of policy change because they understand critical thinking skills. They understand how to um, work within limits. You know, nurses do the most with the fewest resources of any profession that I know. And above all, we're the most trusted profession. I would just encourage anyone that is thinking about going into the healthcare field to consider a career as a nurse and a nurse practitioner. It's never been a better time to become a nurse practitioner. The opportunities are boundless and uh, the opportunities that are opening up each year. We see more states uh, pass full practice authority bills and eventually we will get there where it is nationwide. And when that day comes, it's going to be a wonderful celebration. I'm ready for that celebration, Joy, and I'm looking forward to celebrating NP Week with you and everyone in just a few days, November 13 through 19. We'll be highlighting NPs like each of you who are rising to meet the needs of patients each and every day. Thank you for taking time to speak with us and for sharing such valuable insights with our listeners. Thank you all for a wonderful conversation and thank you to everyone listening. I invite you to join the National NP Week Celebration, which begins this Sunday, November 13, and continues through Saturday, November 19. You can download a resource guide and posters from the AANP website. You can put this up all around your clinic or in wherever you are on social media. And be sure to join the conversation on social media by using the hashtag NPWeek. To get more involved in advocacy efforts, visit the AANP Advocacy Center and register to attend the 2023 AANP Health Policy Conference in Washington, D.C., January 29 through 31. I look forward to seeing you all there. Please subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm.